Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Kat Bogard, a fellow freelance writer who provides helpful advice and resources for creative freelancers. We both know Kat personally, and if you're struggling to pitch stories and land freelance writing clients, Kat's Pitch Pack takes the guesswork out of formatting those nerve-wracking emails. The pack includes eight pitch email scripts for a variety of scenarios, completed samples for each template, and some helpful tips to write pitches that get responses. For more about Kat and to purchase your own pitch pack, visit katbogard.com slash pitch pack. That's K-A-T-B-O-O-G-A-A-R-D slash pitch dash pack. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. So this topic is a little bit unsexy today, but we're going to be talking about how to run an efficient business and tackling some of the more boring, like I said, unsexy business stuff, insurance, contracts, working with accountants, doing your taxes, all really important things and all very important topics to cover. And and probably people have questions about these things because again, no real guidebook on how to do any of this stuff. So let's get into this topic and let's talk about how you kind of navigated figuring these things out. So when you were first starting freelancing full-time or maybe once you were into it a little bit and, and these things became more of a necessity to take care of, how did you go about finding resources and figuring out how to handle these things? Yeah, so I think it's it's the drumbeat of my business that when I don't know something I try and get scrappy to find out the answer. So when I first started my business, one of my biggest fears was ever getting in trouble with the IRS. I am not afraid of getting in trouble with the DMV, but for whatever reason, I am terrified of the IRS. So I actually, when I first started, my dad, who runs his own business, said, oh, you can use my accountant. And it was sort of like a business gift. And so that accountant helped me. They did a session with me where they helped me set up FreshBooks and they basically showed me the very basics of what I needed to do. And I don't work with that accountant anymore. I I stopped after I got married and our finances merged. But so actually like some of it is the answer is connections because I use my dad's accountant. My stepmother is a lawyer and she helped me with a basic contract, even though it wasn't her field at all. So those were two areas that I sort of had covered. And then, and that was just the very beginning. Like I knew like I needed a contract and I needed some accounting that was going to work. And I think as the business grew, that's when I started thinking about like, what other tools are there for me to be more efficient? Like, should I consider business insurance? Should I consider a business credit card, which I know you have? How about for you? Like, when did you start thinking about these kind of nuts and bolts? I would say the first year in business was very ad hoc. I I was smart in that I went ahead and took care of figuring out some sort of retirement investing pretty much right off the bat. Just found like a local Edward Jones office, which I don't know that I would necessarily recommend that at this stage in my life with so many more options on the table with lower fees at this point. But that's a whole other rabbit hole. I won't I won't go too far down that road. But I also was like very intimidated by the numbers side of running a business. So taxes, 
bookkeeping. I'm, I'm just not a number person. I'm a word person. So all of that was very intimidating to me. Also very fortunate to have a mother who's a CPA. So she, I know it's, it's not always great to, to mix business and family. So what I did is I just found a local accountant after she had initially helped me kind of get things off the ground, my mom, and just outsourced her to, to take care of it. So my bookkeeping now runs through Wave, which my, is my invoicing software. And I have a monthly call where we go over the books every month. So I have a firm grasp on what's happening. But as far as taxes, um, I just outsource all of that to a local person who handles all of it for me. And that's a huge weight off of me because it's scary. Yeah. Well, this now I'm now I see that this episode could be you and I digging into the nuts and bolts of each other's business because I'm curious about you have a bookkeeper. You're not doing yeah. your own books. I have a very old school accountant who originally taught me to do it very manually. So I was using a paper journal, like an oh my old God. Oh my God. accounting journal. <laughs> and it worked, but it took a ton of time. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, this is not a good use of my time. I hate this. I dread it. And so Wave, my invoicing software was like, hey, we have a new bookkeeping service. Would you like to check it out? I think it's like 150 bucks a month. And my business credit card is now integrated with that system. So all that's automatically imported. I just have to share a few documents every month and then they take care of all of it. And so I get reports, I get everything very clean. There's no like me doing things by hand and potentially messing up calculations. It's just much cleaner. And it's a, it's a cost that I think is more than worth paying for in my, you know, in my experience. Okay, so I'll share my contrast for what I do. Yeah, please do. It's really interesting when you hear about this, actually, because I think it's things that freelancers don't actually talk about that much because it's not interesting to us. But it, when you say this, I'm like, mm, maybe I should get a bookkeeper. So I do my own books, but I never had the experience of having to use a paper journal, I, <laughs> which is crazy to me that that was suggested. <laughs> like, that's like from 1876. But I used FreshBooks. And the reason I chose FreshBooks was because my accountant recommended it because he basically said, it's really easy for small businesses to use, which is true. My credit card is integrated with it, like exactly like you said. But it's not like once, like I have to go through every month and like delete the random things that are wrong. Like every time I take money out of my business bank account, it thinks that that's money that I spent. <laughs> like uh, if I, if I, if I pay myself, it thinks like that's an expense, which it isn't. Although maybe some accountant is going to be like, oh, that's a draw and it should be categorized this way, et cetera, et cetera, right? You but, know they're out there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, but I think, you know, if this episode is about running your business efficiently, these are sometimes areas where there may be room for some improvement. Like if I got a bookkeeper and they managed everything, it would probably take a load off of me. But what is preventing me from doing that? And I think this is like a big thing for freelancers everywhere is the effort required to make that change. So I've looked at Bench. I think Bench would be a great fit for me. The cost is really similar to what you've described with Wave, but I haven't done it because I have to like get organized and have like the time to sit down and be like, I am going to make this change. I am going to make this implementation. I'm going to I'm going to implement this new system. And I just, I'm like, uh, what I'm doing is like good enough, right? Right. I think this happens with like contracts as well. So maybe that's the next area we yeah. can go. So when I first started my business, I my stepmother helped me come up with a basic contract. And what she said is, hey, this is like good for you getting started, but you need to really hire a business lawyer to do this for you. And I was like, okay, I can't afford 
that right now. That sounds expensive. But a year, <laughs> a year or so later, I hired a business lawyer who was local. I think you're supposed to hire someone who's in your state. I actually met this person at a freelancer's event and she did you know, this is what she specialized in. And and it was great because she knew all of the questions to ask about coming up with a contract. So she helped me come up with a contract. She actually did two for me. She did a contract, like a regular one with my clients. And then she did one for our subcontractors. And what's interesting about that is like, yes, there's the contract, but then the real like nuts and bolts is like, how do you get someone to sign it? Do you send them a PDF? Do you use DocuSign? Do you use something? So what I ended up doing, and this is sort of down the road after trying a number of solutions is now my contracts are in all my proposals. So my system is that I send someone a proposal. The proposal software has a, you know, a feature that allows you to attach the contract and then collect signatures that way. So like everything is in one piece. So like what software is that by the way? I use Proposify for that. Yeah. So that, that has worked well for me with the way that I do business. How do you do the contract thing? All right. So I'm going to be super candid about contracts. I I have a lot to say about this. So when I first started, I really didn't even understand why I needed a contract or what exactly a contract was. I was very clueless. And so I would like put together a proposal based off of some random template that I found online. And I was like, this is my contract. If you sign it, it is the agreement. That's how Mm -hmm. this works, right? Question mark, question mark. And so I did that for about a year. Then I bought Paul Jarvis's creative class contract, which is no longer sold, but that was developed by a lawyer who specializes in freelance business owners. And so that was, you know, lawyer approved. It was all templatized. So I could just customize it with a few tweaks. I still have a copy of it that I use occasionally. But what's funny is, well, maybe not funny. It's probably bad is that I was just sitting here thinking about how rarely I I actually send contracts these days. And that's probably very bad business practice. But the thing is, most of the time, what I find now is either the clients that I'm working with, I work with for a really long-term basis. So we signed one years ago and it still is basically just standing. Or they have one of their own that I review and you know make a few suggestions, comments, tweaks to if possible. And then sometimes there's no contract at all. Sometimes it's just email like, yeah, we agree to this. You have my W-9. Let's do this. And, you know, maybe there's an NDA signed, but sometimes it's just like, yeah, let's just go. Let's not get caught up in the red, red tape and paperwork. So what I would say is that that is probably not good advice. That's probably something I need to fix within my business and not do ever again because it's risky. I do have my business set up as an LLC. So there is a little bit of protection in that. My personal assets aren't at stake, but still. I got to stop you though. Okay. Have you ever suffered because you do it this way? Never. So do you really need to change it? And I'm not trying to be like, take risks, Kaylee, put your business and your life at risk. Like, but you know, they say, and I'm not a lawyer. Okay. Also disclaimer, like nothing in this episode should be taken as advice from a professional accountant or lawyer. Like we will write that somewhere, but like, please know that that is not our expertise. I have heard that if something is written in email, that's like considered like that would hold up in court. Well, I hope so because but, but <laughs> a also, lot of my okay. work is done that way. Okay. But also, also how much money is at stake? So that is a really important question. So I have had 
one experience where a client didn't pay me. I mean, I've had experiences where I've had to like go after someone to get the money, but I have had one experience to date where a client didn't pay me in full. And the amount they owe me is a thousand dollars. And you know what? I don't care. Like it's over. <laughs> like it's not, that's not worth taking someone to small claims court. We're like in different states. When I asked my lawyer about actually like trying to go through with the process of like getting that money back, she was like, well, it's not worth it. Like, it's not, you can't hire a lawyer. You could go to small claims court. Again, we're like not, I want to say we're not lawyers here. Like you could hire a collection agency. Even I talked to a collection agency and they like weren't interested at all because the amount was way too low. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you have like 25 grand on the table, like, yeah, you need a contract. But like, if you're doing blog content for, I don't know, $1,000 a blog post. And I'm not saying $1,000 is not a lot of money because it is like it's meaningful money for lots of people but if you're if you were out that $1000 like how how much does it affect the rest of your life and your business and if the answer is it's a lot then you definitely need a contract and if it's the answer is like well I could live without that and like still pay my electric bill then maybe it's not super yeah. important. I like, yeah. as I'm saying all of this out loud, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm maybe giving people the worst advice ever. <laughs> no, I think, I think it also makes a good case though, too, for your pricing model. So like, if you're not getting a deposit up front, that's more risk on the table with not having a contract sign, right? If you're getting money up front, that is, I think in a way, like a form of agreement, right? Like they're put the client is putting money on the table and saying, okay, you can have 50% now, you'll get the other 50% when the work is done. So that's a show of good faith. So like I said, I think it's really important for when you've never worked with a client before, maybe you don't know a lot about them, they're brand new to you. Um, that I think is a good case for having a, a contract in place. But if it's somebody that you've worked with for years and years and you signed one years ago and you're just good with working with them on an ongoing basis, then it's not that much of a big deal. Well, I mean, you and I would not use a contract for right. you, yeah. if you if we hire each other for something. Right. Like we just we just wouldn't, right? Like it would just be like a cumbersome addition. And and I will say with my process, like the reason they're part of the proposals is because of what we're talking about is that like I don't like to add this cumbersome step unless it's a big enough project to justify that, right? Like that's part of it too, where like, what kind of freelance writing do you do? Like if you're going to do a big web copy project where you're writing a 20 page website for someone, I think you need a contract even with a deposit. I think this also brings up something really interesting. I had a conversation this morning with Grace Clark, who is a marketing consultant. And so she, she was talking about how sometimes it's really difficult to scope things and how contracts without a really clear scope of work included as part of that or part of the proposal like you do, it's really easy for things to to kind of yes, get out of hand. That's right. That's right. And, and so that is a case for having a contract and very clear proposal and sc scope of work. Yep. And that is especially true when you start offering like a lot of strategy work. I have found that as my business has kind of pivoted to doing more like strategic thought leadership content. I guess I would call it that. That's sort of what I mean by that is working with an individual to help them figure out what they want to say. Some of the work is strategic. It's not just like, oh, you get, you know, an article. Because I think actually when you, if you're selling an article, you may be able to get across the scope in like a few bullets. Whereas if you're helping someone with a strategy, like a few bullets isn't enough. 
And yeah, it's true that like that sort of pivots the conversation. Like a contract is the legal part of it where it's like, well, what happens if somebody doesn't pay? Like, can I take you to court? Whatever. And then there's also like the the proposal and the scope, which is like another aspect of how you manage your freelance business. And like I use a proposal that includes all of that info. I think you usually do it via email, right? Yeah. Another thing that Grace said, though, that I think was a good point was that she said a lot of the things that she doesn't feel comfortable bringing up in conversations with clients about asking for money or setting boundaries, things like that, she will build into the contract slash proposal so that that's documented and there, but it's not a conversation that she has to have like on the phone or face-to-face with the client, which I think is a really good workaround. Mm, Yeah, that's interesting. So she'll, in the contract, it will say like, I'm only available for phone calls between these hours or anytime you want to schedule a meeting with me, you have to use my Calendly link yes. or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, boundary setting. Yeah. I see agencies do that a lot. And I sort of, I don't do that officially in the contract. I have some stuff like that in the contract though about revisions and rewrites. Which is really important. Yeah. This is interesting. I'm curious about what other writers are going to say about how they approach contracts and maybe proposals too. And I, it's funny that we're talking about it because as we are, I'm like, oh, we're like maybe open and vulnerable business owners. And yeah. we, should be, we, sh- we should consider more ways of protecting ourselves, but also protecting yourself is quite boring. <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay. So on this theme then, let's also talk about templates because I feel like yeah. proposals would probably fit into that category. Talk to me about some of the templates you have that you use in your business consistently. Okay. So I think there's two categories of template. One is like templates that I use over and over again for client work. So for example, I have case study questions that it's basically a template that I use over and over again. Every time I have a case study, I customize and tweak them a little bit. They actually are available for download from my website too, in case anybody's interested in them. Those I use over and over and over again. And then there's other kinds of templates. So that's like sort of one category is ones that you can use for client work. And then I think the other category of templates is things like well, you know, there's more than two categories, but the other the other category I'm thinking of is like email templates. Like I'm thinking about, you know, CAD, our, our sponsor of the season has a pitch pack, which basically is full of templates for what, what a freelancer would use to pitch someone. And I have emails like that. Like I think cats are great, but I also have templates of emails for case studies. And I have templates of emails that I use for client communication. Like I have a templated email I use for every time a new client gets in touch with me. And I use to be totally against having these kinds of templates, especially the communication templates, because I was like, well, people are hiring me to work with them. Like, if they're not going to get a personalized experience if I use a template. But I found, I find that using a template makes sure that they're getting all of the information that they need from me and that I'm always coming across as professional. Yep. Same here. 100%. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about the templates that you use. Yeah. So I also have a lot of um, like onboarding related email templates that I use over and over. And like you said, I in the beginning was like, well, I need to do these custom every single time. And what I found was that that's silly because new clients ask the same questions. Every single one of them, they all want to know the same thing. So by putting that in a template, and I actually have that template available uh, for sale as part of a larger template bundle on my site too. So all kinds of resources out there. But yeah, it just saves a lot of time. And it's a good way, I think, too, to take the lead on a project and be like, hey, this isn't my first rodeo. I have a process. This is what it looks like. Here's what I expect. 
here's why my rates are what they are. And it just kind of spells all of that out and sets a precedent right up front. Yeah. And I, I, I think you also brought up a good point about the fact that this is something that there are resources out there for. I know you have a freelance writer template bundle. I have case studies, questions that are, that are free for anyone, but I also have some digital products to download or to, to buy having to do with case studies and cat has these resources as well. So like, this is something that you may be able to find inspiration out in the environment. Yeah. Don't reinvent the wheel, you know, use what's already out there and what other freelancers have found to be effective. Yeah. And you can take a little bit of everything from what you see out there that appeals to you. I mean, Kaylee and I have have known each other pretty much the entire time we've been in business. We know what the other one is is doing. And we, I wouldn't say, I, I, we have different ways of managing the same problem. And I, and I guarantee that like a lot of what we do is really, really similar, right? Yeah. And I think, like I said, like a lot of freelance writers deal with similar problems, similar questions. So having templates that you can just pull and customize and have them fit the needs of whatever the situation is, is a huge time saver. And when you're freelancing and your time is often associated with money, that's just a smart thing to do to, to be more efficient with your time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why we're talking about all of this is like, yeah, the, this, this boring business stuff needs to be taken care of. And how can you take care of it in a way where it isn't bogging you down, right? Like how do you take care of accounting in a way that isn't bogging you down. And I mean, some of it is as simple as like, make sure you're paying pretty accurate quarterly taxes or, or what, whatever it is, or that you have, you know, we haven't talked about bank accounts, but having a business bank account, having a, a tax savings account so that it's not just all in your business savings account. And you're, you're appalled when you have to pay a big tax bill. All the money that I pay for taxes goes into a separate account so that I never think I have it. Right. There's some simple things like that, which they sound really simple. But when I first started my business, I was like, I don't know if I need that. Right. And those things can often get in the way too of growing your business or from keeping you from doing it full time because you're like, oh, I, you know, I'm super intimidated by the tax side of things or, you know, I don't know how to do contracts and proposals. And so I I think a good parting piece of advice here is find the resources that are already out there in the world and and put them to good use. And if there are things that intimidate you on the unsexy business side of things, find somebody who's good at them and and have them take the lead for you. Yeah, definitely ask questions for people that are good at it. And also, as you mentioned, like don't let the boring business stuff stop you because you can work very ad hoc with a limited contract. You can do things from scratch until you figure out what your templates need to be. So it's not something that needs to all be figured out, you know, on the day you start your business. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Freelance Writing Coach Podcast. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com.